eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Rico Bronia. It is a day late, but it's a day late because I needed to try to give myself one extra day so I didn't spend 85% of the Rico choking on my old soul. I have recovered from my illness. I was very sick. I don't think anyone wants me to get into details, but it was bad. I thought I was going to die. Like, I think there was about a day or two where I was like, I've seen my last Met game. It's over, and I'm dying without a championship. But I have recovered. I feel better. I still have a lingering cough. So if you hear me cough, I apologize. In fact... Why don't we all play the Rico Bronia Evan Roberts' coughing drinking game? Uh, or an over-under game, we should say. I'm going to set it at 11 and a half. If you hear me cough uh, more than 11 and a half times and you took the over, you won. If you take the under and it's less than 11 and a half, you win. So that way, the coughing, if I do indeed cough a million times, will be less obnoxious because you're gambling on it. It's the same way we all watch sports now in 2023. We just bet on everything, right? Chiefs-Lions, we're all excited because we're going to bet on the over-under on every possibility from this football game. So you can do that now with Rico Bronia. So there's my health update. I'm not dead. The Mets did win two out of three against Seattle. It was very frustrating because I could not go to a game. As I was recovering from my physical issues, there was no way, as we canceled everything, I was supposed to go on Joe Beningo's big podcast Friday night. Couldn't do that. Supposed to have a barbecue Saturday. Cancel that. Barbecue Sunday, cancel that. There was no way as I was recovering over the weekend and canceling everything, I was going to wheel my ass to City Field to see Mets Mariners. That was never going to happen. So this was a tough homestand because the Mets played nine games. I attempted to go to one of the freaking nine games and I lasted three and a half innings. So this may have been the most pathetic showing I've ever had from at homestand. So as disappointing as this season has been, and we could take our turns on who we blame, I blame myself for my lack of just ability to show up for this American League West Coast homestand, which ended up 
going four and five, if my math is correct. Lost two out of three to Anaheim, two out of three to Texas, and then stunningly, stunningly, they win two out of three against one of the hotter teams in all baseball in the Seattle Mariners. A lot to get to on this podcast. We'll talk about Tyler McGill. We'll talk about David Peterson. But we start things off with Ronnie Mauricio because when the Mets made the announcement before this series started that Ronnie was coming up, I was excited. Hoff was excited. We're all pumped up. We finally got our wish because this has been, I mean, honestly, it's been months, months of just bitching and complaining on when is Ronnie Mauricio going to come up? I feel like I've spent so much time, we've all spent so much time checking the scores from AAA just to see how he's doing. And it was this odd feeling where every time he did something well, you'd be excited, but you'd also be pissed. You'd say, oh, great, Ronnie Mauricio's three for five with two home runs. Why isn't he here? Like every time we saw him do something successfully at AAA, there was this level of frustration in, okay, well, why isn't he here? And much like the Yankees, and they did with their young guys, for whatever reason, let's wait until September 1st. Let's wait till rosters expand, not to 40 the way they used to when we were kids or three years ago, but until they expanded 28, which is freaking nothing. I mean, the whole roster expansion in 2023 which I like, by the way, I'm not even complaining about it. This ain't the old days. This isn't the days of let's call up nine guys. Let's call up everybody from double A and triple A. So there is this level we all had this weekend of frustration of why now? Like, why couldn't this have happened weeks and months ago? So Ronnie gets the call up Friday night. And I mean, this is just, this is typical. This is, you want to laugh. You want to be happy, and there's a part of you that wants to just grab Billy Epler and choke him. Not in a Latrell Sprewell, PJ Carlissimo way, in a friendly way. Like a friendly choke? Like when you grab your friend? It's like what Pete's going to do when he sees Sal on Tuesday. He's going to, like, friendly choke him. You know, nothing mean, nothing personal, just... You just want to choke Billy Epler and say, Billy, as Ronnie Mauricio in his first Major League bat hits a ball 117 miles an hour, the hardest hit ball of the year. You just want to scream and say, why the F was this guy not here on May 1st? Or June 1st? Or July 1st? Or let's get nuts, August 1st? Like, why did it take until Friday night against the Seattle Mariners for Ronnie Mauricio to come up here? With that said... Hoffman was touching himself when Mauricio hit that line drive over the right fielder's head. He was like, this is, this is my guy. It's amazing. How ecstatic were you when Ronnie just smoked that ball to right field? Well, I think it, it, sh- it shocked everybody, including the outfield. I think it was Teoscar Hernandez. I mean, literally just watched the ball, thought he was, was set perfectly, and then watched the ball just soar over his head because the ball was smoked off of... Mauricio's at bat. I mean, it was crazy. And listen, let's be serious here. He went. F- he had five hits in three games. I'm not sitting here saying the guy's going to go to the Hall of Fame. We all saw that the second hit in, the, in, the, in, his, in his first game was a little, you know, C&I single. But the fact is, this guy's doing something that the Mets haven't been able to do all season long. It's hit the ball consistently. So the, there's two things Ronnie Mauricio can do, in my opinion that can really impact his future, bad or good. Because this is a cliche I've heard since I was a kid, and I believe it. So 
I don't even know if it's a cliche. It's just something we've heard a lot, but I do buy it. You don't want to read too much into what you see in September, similar to where you don't want to read too much into what you see in March in spring training. So I'll give you a negative example. Aaron Judge in 2016. Now, you may be saying to yourself, Aaron Judge in 2016, in 2017, he was the American League Rookie of the Year. Well, he came up in late 2016, and he wasn't good, and he sucked, and it wasn't a huge sample size, but he wasn't great. It didn't mean anything going into the following year. Just like if a guy comes up and hits 325 and looks good, I'm going to give you a guy from like a decade and a half ago, and the only reason I remember is fantasy baseball. Jesus Guzman of the San Diego Padres hit like 350 for a month and no one's ever heard of him again. So there's a lot we can see over a one month sample size. That means nothing. I think there's two things that could happen where you take notice. One, a guy looks completely overmatched. I mean, complete, not even he's three for 30, but three for 30 and he strikes out 18 times and he can't hit a major league curveball. And he looks like he is not ready for Major League Baseball. And then defensively looks completely overwhelmed. That would be the ultimate negative. And then in contrast, the ultimate positive is a guy doesn't come up and just hit. He tears it up. I mean, Ronnie Mauricio plays a month and it's 420. I'm not saying either thing is going to happen. But the truth is, I don't know if there's that much in just one month that can drive us positively or negatively. You know what I mean? Like, I'm glad he's here. I'm glad we're watching him. And I do think Met and Yankee fans are in a similar boat right now where we're not playing for anything. So we want to watch young players. So the Yankee fan is all pumped up. They get to see Jason Dominguez. They get to see Austin Wells. I totally respect that. That's where we are. We just want to see the young guys. But I'm not sure if there's really anything that Mauricio or Brett Beatty or Mark Vientos or any of our young guys can necessarily do in this small of a sample size that's going to really impact their role in 2024. That, that, that's my only point. I'm glad he's here. I'm glad defensively he didn't embarrass himself because that seemed to be the real reason Buck and Billy didn't want him here. And, and here's what's so hypocritical about this. Let me just get this off my chest because this pisses me off. Every time Buck Showalter talks about defense and how important it is. So he talks about versatility and defense. and Yeah, we know he could hit, but can he feel? And yet you have spent the entire season defending and playing Daniel Vogelback, who doesn't have a goddamn position. Like, think about it. It's not even that Vogelback's bad defensively. He doesn't play defensively. So the hypocrisy of Billy Epler and Buck Showalter talking so much about defense and yet defending and employing Vogelback this entire season is mind-numbing. Like, how do, you, how do you bend the two thoughts? You know what I mean? I don't know. And the other thing, too, is you talk about a guy in Daniel Vogelback, which it's not about crap on Vogelback Day, which I did all Saturday night. But let's be serious here. The guy does one thing. He's a hitter. He's one-dimensional. Once he hits, he can't run. He can't do anything. The one thing they have him there for, he can't even do effectively. It's, he's, he's a batter. That is but, literally all he could do. But here's the thing, Pete. I'm not even bringing this up. We'll rip Vogel back on this podcast because we're going to talk about this series. So obviously, when we get to game two of this series, which I'm sure you spent a lot of time, like you mentioned, on Saturday night and the fan talking about, we'll rip Vogel back. 
But what I'm saying right now is not a rip on Vogelback. It's a rip on stop telling us how important defense and versatility is when you've employed this guy all year. Like, it's tough to take it serious. Now, what did I think of Ronnie Mauricio at second base? He was fine. He looked calm. He looked casual. Uh, There isn't really much to take out of these three games other than, yeah, it was awesome to see his first major league at bat be a ball that smoked 117 miles an hour. It was awesome for him to get the ground ball up the middle. It was frustrating on Saturday that I think we all thought the same thing, which is, hey, let's get Mauricio up with a chance to win this game in the bottom of the ninth inning. So small sample size, we will see him every day, probably at second base exclusively would be my assumption. Um, But hearing about the importance of defense, here's my first cough. (laughs) Hearing about the importance of defense is infuriating when this team has spent all season long defending Daniel Vogelback. That's the, that's the part that's, it's tough to square up the two when Buck emphasizes, you know, you play defense, I'll play you. Yeah, except Vogelback, who doesn't play any defense. Like, I'm not even kidding, Pete. I don't think he's played a major league inning defensively for the New York Mets in his career. Like, I think his only no. innings defensively last year was in Pittsburgh. It wasn't even yeah. here. Now, yeah, by the way, fine. The Mets know he sucks defensively, but then don't lecture us about the reason why the kid who tore up AAA can't be in the major leagues because he's not ready defensively. It's, it's, their, it's their default um, excuse constantly. That's the reason why Alvarez didn't get the call right away was because they weren't sure if he was defensively sound. But you talk about this year particularly, one of the biggest flaws on this Mets team was their defense. They were terrible. Besides, take away Pete Alonso because I'm praising him because nobody else wants to besides you and I. They were they took a step back defensively, defensively yeah. everywhere. So one quick thing about Pete defensively, and I've never had the ability to do this because it's always been, hey, my eye test tells me he gets better every year, and he's not bad defensively, and he's average and now maybe slightly above average defensively. So I've always said that over the last couple of years about Pete, that you watch him every day. It's like you can tell when someone doesn't watch him every day because they think he's a stiff defensively. He isn't. Watch him every day. He's especially improving, which he's been doing over the years. But this is the first time I'm able to say this. I'm so excited. There are defensive metrics that are backing up Alonzo's defense this year. So it's no longer just trust Evan and Pete on the Rico. Like, if you buy a lot of these defensive metrics, and some I do, some I don't, because it's tough. Like, I can't watch every Astros game. So can I really tell you what Kyle Tucker is defensively? Not really. I'd be lying to you. I know what he is offensively. We watch enough of his at-bats, but I'd be lying to you as a diehard baseball fan to say, here's what Kyle Tucker is defensively. Because sometimes I really think the only way you can tell is by just watching a guy every day. And we don't have the ability to watch every single person every single day. It's almost like an offensive lineman in the NFL. Like, I could tell you how good I think Andrew Thomas is because I watch every snap of every giant game. Can I tell you every left tackle in the NFL? No, because we're not watching every snap, every play. I like PFF. I like defensive metrics because they're trying to tell us. But sometimes when a defensive metric is lying to your eyes, that's when it gets frustrating. So I think it was defensive runs saved by first baseman in Major League Baseball. Pete's third in Major League Baseball. So 
it's nice to see his defense is rewarded. But let me give you the guy specifically who's gone backwards defensively. And then we'll get to all three of these games. Uh, talk about McGill and Peterson and their auditions continuing. Lindor's been great defensively. He made an incredible play. I think it was Sunday's game on Julio Rodriguez where he turned a double play. It was smoked by Julio. Makes this great backhand play. Flips to say it was unbelievable. <laughs> Excuse me. So Lindor's been great. Uh, I'm at two cops now, Pete. Pete keeping track. All right. I think I'm going to hit that under. I feel good about this. <laughs> okay. I do feel good at least. That's the most important part. of it. Maybe not for the listeners, but for me. Uh-oh, I got another one coming. Hold on. <laughs> oh, three. Uh-oh. Now we're getting tight here. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm on a run now. <laughs> okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing, starting on day one. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash MLB podcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash MLB podcast to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash MLB podcast. The guy who's gone backwards defensively by a lot is Brandon Nimmo. It is. And we'll do a deep dive on Nimmo probably during the offseason because his offensive numbers are not that far off from last year. So his power's up, his on-base is down. His on-base isn't even down as much as you think it is. But here's what is down. Brandon Nimmo's defense in center field. There have been, including in this series, the Julio Rodriguez triple. Like, Nimmo's got to make that play. Now, it's not an error, but you're watching it, and you know that last year, Brandon Nimmo puts that in his back pocket. This season, Brandon Nimmo mistimes his jump, and Julio ends up on third base. So, <laughs> excuse me, without going through each guy individually, Pete's been fine. Lindor's been mostly awesome. Obviously, Marte went backwards while he was playing. Um, Nimmo has gone backwards defensively. He's had the big issue. Uh, let's get to Friday's game. Kodai Senga, 
I mean, use whatever adjective you want to use. He has been unbelievable. And Pete Hoffman needs to apologize to him. Because earlier this season, walks too many guys, I don't know how good he is, blah, blah, blah. You could see through it. You didn't know, Pete. Kodai Senga was good early on. He had his moments, but he was good. You can see the brilliance. And now the brilliance has come full circle to the point where I think he's third in the National League in ERA. So while I cough, I'm going to give you a few minutes to wax poetic about Kodai Senga. Go ahead. Yes, I will. I will uh, apologize to Kodai for originally saying that uh, he was a subpar pitcher. Listen. Let's be serious. He was walking a lot of guys to start the season off. He still has those issues, but he he's a battler. He's a much better pitcher than, let's say, Marcus Stroman was when he was in the Mets. Because if you want to comp the two, Stroman would put a lot of people on base and battle through five innings. Sanga does it more effectively. He's got a much nastier uh, you know, out pitch than Stroman does. And you're right. like He just is now taking over where... You could see him potentially just being the ace of the staff of the future. Well, see, you hit on it. I think he can be. And I think what was so encouraging, or there were two things encouraging about Senga earlier this season despite his struggles. Number one, there were moments where he dominated. You know, maybe not for long stretches, but you can see the domination. And number two, he always showed a lot of poise in big spots when he would run into trouble. And we saw that in his very first spring training game. I think he walked the first two Cardinals he faced and was facing Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado and got through that first inning. It was a spring training game. Who cares? But I think Senga's got a lot of moxie. He's got a lot of guts. So he's got guts, and we have seen periods of time, and we saw it on Friday night against a very good Mariner lineup where he can dominate. So what is the limit for Kodai Senga? I mean, considering his rookie season, has led to a low three ERA, and he's gotten better as the season's gone on. I think his ceiling is, yeah, he can be a top-of-line rotation guy. You know, staying healthy is the key. So far, I knock on wood, he has been healthy. Uh, He has been, in many ways, the biggest positive of this season. You know, when you look around and say, (laughs) who's the MVP of the team? I remember in the first half, I argued it was David Robertson. Obviously, he's long gone. I think the MVP of the team is Kodai Senga now. You know, you could argue Lindor, sure, and Pete Alonso and anybody who's out there every single day in this lineup, but think about this rotation. Think about the injuries earlier this season, the guys that were in and out. Think about this rotation now. That constant has been Senga, and he was great on Friday night. I do want to give some flowers. <laughs> See, now I'm struggling, man. I got I had like a good first 20 minutes, and now it's... Uh, I want to give uh, some credit to Volga back, because that at-bat against Munoz in the eighth inning was a great at-bat. So as much as we rip him and destroy him, and we'll talk about his bad base running on Saturday, that was a really good at-bat. Now, it doesn't mean Buck should play him every single day. It doesn't mean he should be blindly in the lineup against any right-hand pitcher they face, but... That was a clutch at-bat. It was an impressive at-bat. So you don't want to give him credit, Pete. I can tell in your eyes right now, like even on a game-winning hit, you don't, uh, against a tough sinker ball pitcher in Andres Munoz, you don't want to give this fat guy credit. No, I really don't. 
It's 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 because if you give them credit, that gives the the organization a pass on like, hey, look, we told you we could be good. Which, by the way, can I just say something? And it's actually like, I, it is actually giving Vogelback a bit of credit. I think in the past two seasons, he's batted about six hundred fifty times, something around that. I did the numbers real quick. Do you know how what his numbers are on those six fifty? Hold not good. Actually, no, they're not terrible. He's got 31 home runs and almost 100 RBIs. His batting average is terrible. It's 227. But think about what we always talk about. If you can get a DH to put up 30 and 100, is it bad? I mean, I know Vogelbeck is only playing half a season because he just he's a left-handed bat. He he goes in there to to hit against right-handed pitchers. Do you know any hits he has against lefties this season? All of them, I think. No, no. How many he, hits he has against left-handed pitching oh, against, this oh, season? Oh, against, oh, zero. Zero. Is that <laughs> not unbelievable? Like, even by accident. Like, ah, as a lefty on the mound, uh, Buck's not pinching and he doesn't have a ready on the bench. Like, accidentally, he doesn't have a singing eye, C&I single against a left-handed pitcher. That's a, that is amazing to me. It's amazing. But again, but that just goes to show that I don't want to give the team credit, but he... Does kind of do what they want him to do, be that lefty bat that kind of has a little pop in it. I hate okay, to say so, that, but 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 here's the problem. I'm not trying to give the team credit. I'm merely saying he had a good at bat. Like that. That is all I'm saying. In the eighth inning of a tie game against one of the nastier relievers in baseball, he had a great at bat. That's not even debatable. That's a factual sentence. He faced a really good reliever, check. He fouled a bunch of pitches off, check. He went the other way and got the game-winning hit, check. So I'm not saying I want him DHing next year. I'm not even saying he's a good guy. I'm not saying Buck's smart for playing him every day. I still didn't want him in the lineup on Saturday night. I am merely saying on Friday night, when the Mets won two to one and he got the game winning hit against Munoz, that was a good at bat. You can't even agree with that. Remember, remember Pat Mazika? Remember when he hit like a game winning home run? I do. Like, th- yes. Things things happen. Baseball's crazy. By the way, Daniel Vogelback <laughs> this season is 0 for 15 against lefties. So he's had 250 at bats against righties. He's had 15 at bats against lefties, and he's 0 for 15 with eight strikeouts and one walk. So. Yeah. Look, oh, we got a walk. That's nice. Hey, did you catch, by the way, um, Pete Alonso? Maybe we give, give Pete Alonso a little a flower as well. Giving Kodai Sanga the game ball after uh, yeah. he got ball from the game. That's because Pete's an incredible clubhouse guy. That's why. And everybody loves him. Damn right. <laughs> Damn right. Now, let me get to the second game of this series. So I-, I was hopeful that David Peterson, following up his brilliance on Sunday against the Angels, This was a chance for him because David Peterson's return to the rotation has been almost incomplete. Like, let me go through his starts real quick, just to jog your memory. Against the Orioles, three scoreless innings, ton of base runners. They had a pitch count on him because he was working out of the bullpen prior. So how do you judge three scoreless innings? You really can't. His next start against the Cubs, three and two thirds, two runs. Same thing. Ton of base runners, tons of pitches. You can't even judge it. His next start against the Pirates. Three and two-thirds innings, one run. Same thing. Like, same thing. 
his first three starts, he didn't pitch long enough for really to offer any strong opinion one way or the other. Then he struggles against the Braves, four and two-thirds innings, four runs. All right, it's the Braves. They're tough. He wasn't awful. Throw it out. Then he gives you the brilliance on that Sunday early afternoon game against the Angels where he goes seven innings, one run. I think he just struck out nine guys. Arguably David Peterson's best start as a major leaguer, or at least his best start this season, right? He now follows it up against Seattle. And I was very hopeful, like, okay, this could be the David Peterson turnaround. This could be where David puts it all together. And he gets through the first inning, gets a double play on Eshwenio Suarez, gives up a home run to Teoscar Hernandez. They're down one nothing. Not the end of the world. And then in the third inning, not helped out by Brandon Nimmo, because that was the Julio Rodriguez triple, where Brandon Nimmo should have made the play. Peterson runs into trouble then. Runs into trouble in the fourth. Hits a guy in the fifth inning. Before you know it, David Peterson has thrown 77 pitches. It's the fifth inning. He's given up seven hits. He's given up four runs, and his ass is out of the game. Now, were there things that hurt him out of his control, specifically his defense? Sure. But four innings, four runs, ain't good. And that was the second start that we were hoping he was going to give in a row of David Peterson looking like, all right, I'm a lefty, I'm developing late, I'm putting it all together. So it was a discouraging start by Peterson. And overall, like I'm trying to have hope that, hey, could this guy be a factor in the rotation in 2024? And the answer continues to be no. He's not that young also. He's 30 years old. I thought he showed more promise out of the bullpen, but I thought the Mariner game on Saturday night in a lot of ways was disappointing. The whole game was disappointing. They're down 3 nothing. they come back. They're down 7-3, they come back. Adam, Adam Ottavino gives up a home run to J.P. Crawford. They're threatening to come back, and Daniel Vogelback doesn't have to run the bases. Like, that was, I know they won two out of three against Seattle, so I guess if you care about wins, which I still do, you should be happy about it. But in a lot of ways, that was a disappointing loss. Between David Peterson's struggles, between Adam Ottavino immediately giving up a home run, the Mets show all this fight offensively, coming back from deficits everywhere, to then lose. And then lose the way they did in the ninth inning of this game. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Before history is written, Bobby Orr, behind the net, the it's played. Tonelli, the nice 
Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Think about everything in that ninth inning. Daniel Vogelback down a run, ninth inning, rips one up the alley. Now, I don't know your view on this, Pete. I know you probably did a few hours of it on the air. But off the bat, how are you not on second base? That's my first reaction. So when Vogelback's rounding first, heading towards second, trucking his fat ass to second base, my thought is, well, you're damn right. You should be on second base. Yip went up the left center field alleyway. Then he gets thrown out by a mile and a half on a relay throw. I'm pissed off. I'm like, what is this fat ass doing? I see the replay. He was hustling. It's like me trying to run. You know what I mean? I thought of me when Daniel Vogelback was rounding the bases. I thought, boy, you know, if I came to the plate and smoked the ball to left center field, which I know sounds crazy, but let's say I did it. Let's say I smoked one to left center field. And I was hustling. I was trying my hardest. I would have ended up the same way. I would have been thrown out. J.P. Crawford would have been laughing at me. Like, look at this schmuck sliding into second base. So it was one of those rare times I'm watching a baseball play unfold, and I'm thinking to myself, that's me. The problem is I'm not in the major leagues, and I'm nowhere close to being in the major leagues. I don't even fantasize about being in the major leagues. For that to happen was so unmajor league-like in every level. I'm not ripping his hustle, obviously. He was trying. But to hit a ball to left center field, run like you got a big load in your pants or something, and get thrown out by a mile and a half at second base is just embarrassing. That's how I'd phrase it. Am I ripping him? I'm, I'm ripping his lack of athletic ability, I guess. But it was embarrassing. Well, and that was the whole game. That's kind of like the epitome. This game felt like the entire season. It was lack of starting pitching. The Mets actually fought back, which is not the, how they've been the whole season. But Adam Adovino, like you said, comes in, gives up the, the, the game-winning run right right away, first first hitter in the ninth. And it's like, and then it ends with a sour note of, we just, why is this guy on the team? Like, why is Daniel Vogel back here? He can't, the one thing he can't, he can do is hit the ball, but that's it. He, he just got, and the whole thing is, like you said, you kind of uh, talked about it because Mauricio could have potentially been up to bat. He could have got in this game in the, in the bottom of the ninth, but what it would have taken was Vogel back to stay at first, um, Stewart to get a base hit, get LaCastro uh, on base somewhere, and then give Mauricio an opportunity to yeah. get there. It's, instead, you, it, be, just, it just sucked the life out of the team. But here's what's funny. If he stops at first base, it's because Vogelback knows he has no athletic ability. Like me. Like, I, I ripped that ball to left center field, and I know. I know I run like a spaz. Like, I'm not getting to second base. And I stop at first base. We'd all kill him saying, are you kidding me? He hit the ball up the alley in left center field. What are you doing stopping at first base? With that said, I, obviously, I would have preferred that because I don't there know what There were 30,000 DJ- people. There were 30,000 people in that stadium screaming at him not to run to second base. Did you see that, by the way? Everyone yeah, was yelling. <laughs> but, but the problem is, like, if I'm at that game, I'm just being fair about this. I'm following the baseball. So I see that ball go up to left center field alley. I would then move my head 
after after I watched that ball played, and I would assume whoever hit that ball is ending up on second base. Whether it's Mo Vaughn, Bob Hamlin, you name the fat ass, that guy's on second base. With that said, it obviously was embarrassing. Like on, on many, many levels. The, the fact it was a relay throw, the fact that Crawford was laughing at him, and then the fact that DJ Stewart promptly singles up the middle. Almost made it worse. Now, you can't assume everything works out the same way if Vogelback's on first base, or really not Vogelback, but Tim LaCastro, like you said, because he ends up pinch running and maybe steals second base, to your point. But DJ Stewart following it up with a hit did make it frustrating. And then look, Brett Beatty comes up, pinch hitting after Vientos left the game a few innings early, and Brett Beatty failed. Bottom line, Brett Beatty could have smoked one over the fence. We wouldn't have mentioned the Vogelback base running, or we would have laughed at it in a more comical way. Brett Beatty failed. Francisco Alvarez comes up as a pinch hitter. Francisco Alvarez fails. And, and like I said at the top of the pod, there isn't much that you can read in September, but I think for Beatty, it would just be nice for him to have a hot September, to at least finish this season on a strong note. Now, with that said, he can go have a hot September. I don't think any of us are going to feel comfortable that he should be handed the third base job next year. And I think that's what's going to be so weird, I guess would be the word I'd use to describe the expectations for next year. Obviously, we'll spend a lot of time on what they're going to do roster-wise, free agency, starting pitching and all that. But even on a position player standpoint, who's the third baseman for the Mets on opening day in 2024? Like, I ask that question right now. Like, what the hell's the answer? We can't say it's Brett Beatty. We want to say it's Ronnie Mauricio? Want to say he's got a chance to be the third baseman? Can we? Is it Mark Vientos who, it sucks Vientos got hurt on Saturday because Mark Vientos is smoking the ball all over the place. Like Vientos over the last couple of days, prior to that odd leg injury or foot or whatever that injury is, he was starting to show you something, but he hasn't shown enough. Like, I think one of the debates we're all going to have, and it's part of why next year, no matter what they do in the offseason, is going to be very similar to some past years where there's going to be a lot of, if this happens, if that happens, if this happens. Well, those three guys, Beatty, Vientos, and Mauricio, they're ifs. Like, they're huge ifs. And I think coming into the year, the hope was by the end of the year, Brett Beatty's going to obviously be the third baseman. Or Mark Vientos is going to obviously be the DH against left-handed pitching. None of that has happened. So when they lose on Saturday night, keep, keep this in mind. We all kill Vogelback. That's fine. Brett Beatty popped up as the winning run at the plate. Francisco Alvarez, after a pretty good at-bat, tapped out back to the mound. And Alvarez, who is clearly the catcher, I'm very excited about his progress going into next season. He's done nothing for a month offensively. Now, I think Alvarez has done enough defensively and has shown you enough offensively where no matter what he does in the final month of the year, (laughs) we look at him as the catcher going into next year. Like, I don't think any of that changes necessarily. Should they have a good backup, an Omar Narvaez backup? Sure. You don't want Tomas Nito sitting behind him. But I think with Beatty and with Vientos, there's a lot to prove. Like, there's no way, Pete, you could look at either one of those guys and say, yeah, they're an everyday player in 2024. They got to freaking earn it. No, the only person I, I, I say that, like you said, Alvarez, 
even with his struggles, even with everything that in the past month, guy still put up the best offensive numbers of any catcher in the past what decade for the Mets. Let's be serious here. Um, and defensively, he's been fine. He's still in the game defensively, which is yes. part of that part of something that we can't say about Vientos Abate. I mean, Vientos, yeah, he was hitting the ball hard the day, but he is awful defensively. Yeah, he's. I don't think his future is going to be as an everyday position player. If he hits, he'll play, but I think it'll more likely be as a DH. Quickly on Sunday's game, McGill was okay, but again, didn't do anything to differentiate himself. And, and to his credit, like he was good against Texas, so I guess it's back-to-back quality starts, even though it's not technically a quality start. But he was all right pitching into the sixth inning. Uh, the bullpen did a great job. Brooks Raley bounced back nicely. Trevor Gotts had his moments. Adam Adovino had a bounce back game. The story of Sunday's game was Pete. It was good to see Pete hit the two home runs. His numbers continued to be gaudy. 41 home runs, 100 RBIs. We also saw the Mets fight back. They fought back against Sal and everybody at our radio station who seems to think that they know Pete Alonso in the Met locker room sucks. So it was good to see Buck and the Mets at least fight back about it. Uh, what does it mean? Look, the only thing that I try to take out of all this stuff is that, and I've, I've said this to you for a while, that my theory behind the Alonzo trade stuff has been, it's a contract standoff. That Pete wants this, the Mets want that. And as part of a standoff where they're not that close to a deal, you try to get movement. And by there being trade reports of Pete Alonzo and listening on trade offers, does that move Pete Alonzo's camp? Maybe it does. I mean, it's possible. I know. Look, one thing is very, very obvious. You don't need to be a reporter to figure this one out, even though I've, I've heard this from Pete himself when we did the comedy event, unless he's lying to me. He wants to be here. Like, he clearly wants to be a Met. And it's not one of those, I want to be here and you use words. Like, it's obvious that Pete Alonzo wants to be a Met. I remember a few months ago when Big Mac was on our show in the afternoons, Big Mac and I had this argument about, I said, Bryce Harper's a phony. He tries so hard to ingratiate himself in Philly. And Big Mac says, Pete does the same thing. And here's what's funny. Big Mac, in a weird way, was defending Pete Alonzo. Because maybe Pete does try really hard to want to be here. Because he wants to be here. Maybe he tries so hard to be loved by Met fans because he wants to be a Met for the rest of his career. So believe it or not, I took the last week and a half where Buck and Disha Tozar and all this reporting in defense of Alonzo, I took it as a great sign. I took it as a, everybody loves Pete, and this is probably a game in a larger negotiation on a contract. Now, my opinion is clear. I'd love to re-sign him. And quite frankly, I don't care how much it costs because there's no salary cap in Major League Baseball other than you know, the Steve Cohen threshold, which he's going to go over every single year anyway. And I've always been a believer that when you develop really good players, you should keep really good players. And I've always been consistent about it, even though history has proven me wrong many times about this. And I'll always call myself out. Odell Beckham Jr., why would you trade him? You develop this elite level wide receiver. The giant decision to trade him turned out to be good. Robinson Cano, if you're the Yankees, you got to move hell or high water to re-sign him. You develop this elite-level second baseman. Why would you let anyone outbid him? Obviously, looking at history, maybe the Yankees made the right choice. But I always believe when you develop really good baseball players or really good football players or really good whatevers, 
You have to do what it takes to keep them. I wouldn't be in the business of developing guys to trade them away. Let the Tampa Bay Rays do that. So I've been consistent about wanting Pete back. I thought for anyone in my camp and Hoffman's camp that the last week was a very good sign. Because I think in a weird way, silence and letting it just be out there that there's Pete Alonzo trade rumors and there never being any kind of fight back to, well, the locker room sucks, so maybe they should trade Pete, was always going to be a bad sign. So I think the fight back over the last week and a half is a good sign. And we're probably just involved in a contract standoff where Pete values him as this. I have my hand in one area and the Mets value him over here. Well, here's the other thing too, though. And it's multi-level, multi-layered facets over here with the whole uh, rumor central with Trey, Pete Alonzo. The Milwaukee Brewers wanted that stuff to get out because they want to make hell, the Mets life a living hell for getting David Stearns when that happens. Like, they don't want to just let David Stearns walk to them, walk to the Mets, make them a competitive team, and they want them, to, they want him, they want the Mets to have uh, failure. They don't want success. They don't like Steve Cohen. There's so many different reasons why they don't okay. want the Mets to be well. I, I don't think you're necessarily wrong. And obviously, the Mets made a lot of decisions over the last week in their front office that lead you to believe. That, that we, what we've all believed for a while, which is David Stearns is going to take over soon, sooner rather than later. He's going to come in, bring in his own guys and all that. I also think, though, there was a motivation for the Mets to have it out there. If you believe what I believe, which is this is an advanced negotiation, that this is where we're at, where the Mets, because now I feel good. There's something I, I wasn't confident about a few weeks ago that I have more confidence in now which is they've talked about a contract. I wasn't sure if they ever did. I think they have talked about a contract. I don't think they're close. Now, that may sound like bad news. I don't think it's bad news. If you've talked about a contract, it means you want there to be a contract. If you're the Mets, you want there to be a contract. If you're Pete, you want there to be a contract. So I think any kind of discussion is a good thing. So ask yourself this. All right, totally get why the Brewers would want it out there. Chaos, chaos, chaos. Fine. Why would the Mets want it out there? Well, the Mets would want it out there because they know what I know, which is what you know, which is what everyone knows. Pete Alonzo wants to be a New York Met. He does. He wants to be a Met. If you have it out there, well, not close on a contract. Talk to Milwaukee. Talk to Chicago. May trade him during the offseason. Your hope is what? There's movement on a contract. There's movement of, wait a second. I don't want to go to Chicago. I don't want to go to Milwaukee. Now, I'm not saying any of this is going to work because Pete, at the end of the day, has to get his. Yeah, I support the player for getting as much as they can get. Now, sometimes you got to make a decision. Is it worth not being where you want to be? That's up to the individual. A-Rod made a choice, right? In 2001, he made a choice. He ended up where he really didn't want to be. Okay, got his money, great. And within two years, he was gone. So I do think there was a motivation for the Mets to put it out there to try to move these negotiations. Well, and it's funny when it comes down to Pete, like he always seems like when he won the home run derby the, the first time, or I think both times, I think he he donated the money right away. Like he seems to like, unless I get him wrong, he seems to not saying that money doesn't matter to him, but I think he's confident enough that he's going to get paid well eventually that 
he's really not worried about it, which is why we talk about this contract. We talk about, you know, you say, like, you know, have they discussed it? I, I'm just assuming that he thinks it's going to be a big payday for him. Well, he's going to get paid. Question is, do you go to free agency? Is it from the Mets? Is it from somewhere else? We shall see. And we'll certainly have a lot of pods about that as time rolls on. One quick thing as the Mets get set for this two-game series against Washington with Quintana on the mound in the opener. And he's been solid, too, by the way. Let's not forget him, but Kodai's been the ace. There is a game Wednesday night I want to call your attention to. The Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros are battling it out in the American League West. The pitching matchup for Wednesday is scheduled to be Max Scherzer against Justin Verlander. So how about that? So just saying, I noticed that today. I was on the MLB app, and I'm like, this Houston Texas series is kind of fascinating, especially with the Astros winning the opener on Monday. So I check out Tuesday. Oh, okay. I check out Wednesday. I'm like, wait a second. Is this Verlander against Scherzer? So keep an eye on that. One other thing, Julio Urias arrested domestic violence. Second time he's been accused of that. Um, Yeah, the Mets are out. So let's get that out of the way. The Mets are out on Julio Urias. I know that's a name I've mentioned a lot as a pitcher that I would want, but certainly as a human, I think the Mets are going to stay away. Uh, we got through 43 minutes. How many, how many coughs did I make off? Did I get the under or the you, over? You definitely got the under. It was close. I believe we were at like nine or 10. So you got the and, under. And in fairness, I hit a mute button many, many times. <laughs> so I yeah. probably hit the over. I cheated a little bit. Uh, we do appreciate you listening. We appreciate you bearing through the last couple of pods, certainly being a, a day late for the Seattle series, but Hopefully my voice will get stronger. We'll give you a couple of bonus pods as time rolls on. It's kind of a, a short week this week because the Mets play only two games against Washington, take another off day. It's like the Mets are respecting the NFL. It's like the Mets are like, you know what? We'll give you a couple games. Then we want you to sit down and watch Chiefs-Lions. <laughs> they're not going to respect us over the weekend, though, on Sunday afternoon when they're playing the uh, – where did they go this weekend? Oh, my God. I'm trying to remember. Oh, Minnesota. They go to Minnesota. Talk about a forgetful series on Sunday. All focused on football and the Mets are playing the freaking twins. But we appreciate you listening. You can email the pod to RicoB at gmail.com. Excuse me. That's a burp. That does not count as a uh, cough. I'll be back on the air as long as I can last with Tiki Barber coming up on Tuesday after Labor Day. We appreciate you listening to another edition of Rico Bruno. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.